Good morning, everyone. I have a uh, a grooming comment this morning. Grooming. You know, when you have naturally curly hair, there's one day where everything is kind of okay, and then the next day it's out of control. So that's where I am this morning. I apologize for that. It is what it will be. I'm glad you can't see it. There is a lot of stuff keeping it together. Um, So, no, I'm trying to make sure that you capture the audio. If it's that tight, our guys are standing back. The bigger difference, if it's farther out, they're likely to get closer. So, we're praying today, get closer to Mike. Um, let's uh, pray and then we'll uh, Our God and our Father, we thank you for this day. We rejoice in your good grace imposed upon us. Lord, we ask that you prepare our hearts for worship. And Lord, today as we study your word, may we do it with vigor and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So yesterday... Fry and many went out there in the roll. And uh, we had some of the guys here came out with us uh, Horace and Owen, uh, Mark and Otto came out from the swim meet. Uh, Mike was out there. Uh, Josh and John came out. And uh, so it was a good time. We actually got through the fish uh, pretty quick set up and took it and all of this so, but, it was, but it was a really good time we had an opportunity I think for folks for folks in our church to get a better view of what we're what we're doing over there and what we're trying to accomplish and some of the, uh, the ways that God is opening up doors you know what, one of the challenges that we uh, we forget you know we have a tendency to read the Bible and say well look Paul showed up somewhere, and people just gathered around and listened, and they got converted. Now, God does operate in in, um, some circumstances like that. Uh, But remember, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, God does this in Jerusalem where he tells them to be, the disciples. And those people that were there in Jerusalem that day, why were they there? Question. Why were they there? Okay, they were there for a feast, a called time of God. God's Spirit had a plan, called these. And if they were, if they were there, very likely many of them, um, certainly that three thousand, they, they were searching for God, waiting for God, looking, anticipating. They were trying to walk in obedience to God. And then you see, as you go through the Book of Acts. Paul goes to a new city, where does he typically go first? To the synagogue. Where again, what's that? Right. That's right. But but the point is, he goes to those that have a frame of reference, um, where they have something in common uh, with which to uh, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, um, 
one of the things that has happened through the, the time that um, we've been walking and praying and talking to people is we're gaining more and more trust. Um, we've been invited into some homes, which if, if you don't know this, you got to think, of it. if you don't know the people at all, for them to invite you and then, you know, sometimes we have uh, our brother AJ with us who... Uh, guys have been out there met him yesterday and he's been to church here once and he has some relationships with people but then when the when the relationship continues for you to go in their homes or for them to invite you to other things that they're doing that they're involved with um, that's you know that, that's completely different cultures are different people are different so like you take a missionary and prepare this send them into the field um we do training, there's language training, cultural training, things of this nature. And, and every missionary I ever met recognized that when they got there, they had to get in relationship with people. Uh, most of the time, they weren't just setting up on a street corner somewhere proclaiming the gospel. They had to get in and get to know people. So things like uh, the chicken we did a couple of months ago, um, and then this time, the fish that we cooked gave us an opportunity to talk to folks. And of course, there's also camaraderie that we build as we work together. So we're going to continue to do things and provide opportunities for, for folks to serve and come out and pray that the Lord continue uh, to build up this opportunity and other opportunities within our community uh, to do uh, outreach for the gospel. And I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it again because I continue to hear this that is blowing the minds of, and there's a lot of, say, of the, the older, and I say older, I mean, the African American people in general are a great deal of them have grown up and have some experience with the church, and they've become disenchanted, maybe tempted away in different areas and places in their lives. But, but one of the things that comes up frequently is, is the inner fighting within the church has turned them off. Not just um, this church to that church, although that's a problem, but also uh, inside of churches. And um, where there certainly are opportunities for churches to discipline and uh, hold firm lines and things, that's not typically what people are addressing. People are concerned about bitterness and unforgiveness and, and uh, just petty sins that, that are allowed to rule. And one of the things that the folks there continue to share out to us is, is they're just boggled by the fact that there can be people from different churches working together with no competition intended. Um, and and the Lord is stirring things up. Um, on our Thursday walks, where there used to be drug dealers on the corners, gone. There used to be all this through traffic of what characterized it as as, uh, people up to no good every day, not just on Thursdays, but that has settled down in the neighborhood. What's happening? We're afraid. Others are afraid. People, the, the Christians that are in the community who have felt beaten down and wore out are encouraged 
God is at work. And I encourage you, in your own neighborhood, be praying. If you're taking walks, pray. Um, if God is asking for his people to make petitions, do it. And I'm not saying you don't pray, but I want to encourage you to look at it this way. As you walk by with your kids, think about it, you see people that, those are eternal souls in those houses. Right? Some of which tomorrow will not wake up. So we need to be asking for God to bring deliverance to them. And, and we should not be ashamed to pray, Lord, for the powers that are out here, for the people that are controlling things, convert them or remove them. Right now, we want them to be converted, but remove them from their places of power and influence. Um, and we don't have to determine what that is, unless you're sitting on a jury for a year but, but the reality is, uh, ask God. Right? What, what, is, what does God say about, uh, what does the Father say about the Son in Psalm 2? That's right. right? Well, we're going to talk about that later, later in the sermon. But the point I'm trying to make is, is Jesus was told by his Father, ask me. Right? And there's really there, there's both relief and forgiveness provided, mercy there, but also judgment. Um, we too should ask the Lord for the nations and speak in firm ways, knowing that God's influence can bring the judgment. Which is interesting because that brings us to where we are today in Psalm 18. Um, how many of you guys uh, read ahead and check out the psalm? Um, if, 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 you've, if you've been reading ahead, um, this is a longer psalm than uh, probably the longest one so far, by quite a bit. Uh, we are definitely not getting through this one in one class time today, um, but we are, uh, this is 50 verses, and so it's, it's really divided up into five sections, so before we read it all together... And uh, um, the five sections are one through three. And uh, remember, one starts with the chief musician, the Psalm of David, and it goes into that one through three. And that's a place where there's where David expresses a desire to praise God for his wonderful deliverances. Um, the second is four through 19, where these deliverances are described strong poetical terminology or just a very, it's, it's, you see this powerful imagery uh, being expressed. Uh, next we have uh, the third section is verses 20 through 27 and these deliverances are described as acts of righteousness and mercy. So one desire to praise God for his wonderful deliverance, one through three. Uh, the second is verses four through 19, and they're described in strong poetical uh, expression. And three, 20 through 27, and 
these same acts are described as acts of righteousness and mercy. The fourth one, which is verses 28 through 45, um, speak about it not so much from an account of recollection to these things, but as much as an anticipation. So there is a consistency with God. We can look to God's deliverance in the past, and we can also turn and say, we know in this that he's, he is working now. Um, he's worked in the past. He's working now. But, but I can speak based off of his faithfulness. He's never changing. He's going to do this in the future. Right? He's always consistent in that way. And then finally, um, verses 46 through 50, where David the psalmist ascribes these truths, not just about himself, but about King Jesus Christ. Um, and so we see the same type of, of deliverance that God gave to David. God is going to give to his son. And um, we're going to discuss that further. So um, let's do this. Um, let's divide up the reading. I'd like us to read it one time all the way through so we kind of see this with in mind. And so who would like to do, ver we're going to break it up in these groupings, verses 1 through 3. Who can do 1 through 3? Okay, don't, don't read yet. I'm going to get everybody lined up. Um, 4 through 19. Ashley, okay. Um, then 20 through 27. James, you want to do uh, 28 through 45? And who would like to do 46 through 50? Okay, very good. So let's go ahead. And if you'll just pick up when the other person stops, uh, please go ahead and proceed.
So, uh, this is a psalm that speaks of deliverance and God's faithfulness and what happens to those that stand against God and against uh, his anointing. And I think we, as we go through this a little bit, you'll, you'll see as well. In that first verse, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a servant of Yahweh, who spoke to Yahweh the words of this song on the day that Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Yahweh, my strength. So there's a couple of things going on in here. Um, So first of all, David is declaring that he is a servant of Yahweh. And he's, he says, I spoke to Yahweh um, the, the words of this song on the day that Yahweh delivered me and from the hands of my enemies. And then it says, from the hand of Saul. And this is kind of important. Uh, when you look at how it is set up, first of all, um, you know, there's no particular time listed mark this down and we certainly can't even point to a time where you can say David had uh, no enemies now what you, what you do find is that his enemies go from being out there and far away to closer and closer and closer to him right I mean who do we see as the closest enemy that he has his son right so there, there, there are enemies but, but in terms of of this, this you can see this at this point. David is reflecting in to so many times that God has delivered him. You know, when, when we think about this, where are the first places that we see God's deliverance um, for for David? What's that? Goliath. What happened? What about before that? Do you have any deliverance? The, the bear and the lion, right? So he he has from a young age. Right? God has been in the process of delivering. Some of them, like the, the, the bear and the lion, those are really vocational deliverances, right? Um, and then you get to Goliath, um, which is a physical battle, but there's also a spiritual one going on at the same time. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty well understood Philistines come to, to, to where they are via the Egyptians and it's really an extension of uh, how oftentimes the enemy of God would get a deliverance from something but it becomes a, a constant nag to us an ongoing nag like we get deliverance say from being in the hand of the bondage of say Egypt in this narrative but then we can also uh, say maybe there's a, a besetting sin before you were a Christian, or before you took your faith seriously, that you were really given to, and God delivers you up out of that. But then there's this, you know, three months, six months, a year out, those things, they continue to, to poke at you and, and create temptations for you. Uh, almost, it seems like, an, an attack. And you, and you can consider this um, to, to be in the same realm here with the Philistines and the enemies of God that were, that were coming against David and those that David 
battle with that you recognize that the Philistines are um, to a degree descended from the Egyptians and so you've got this this you've been delivered from the hand of bondage but man Satan keeps coming at you in all kinds of ways and he mentions the hand of his enemies and the hand of Saul and why did he put Saul out there well um, you know it's kind of a, a you know especially Saul and it's first in time and and importance not again like we mentioned he has family enemies later right? he has others that speak against him but 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 the reality from if, if you read the, the the narrative right David's life um, he gets anointed to be king and what's keeping him from being able to take that position, to ascend to the promise that God has for him. There's already a king, and his name is Saul. And so uh, what we have is Saul um, is an enemy. Um, starts out, it's, it's, you know, there's so much betrayal there. Right? David comes along says, I'll assist you, king. I'll fight against the giant. God delivers him. And, you know, almost right away when they start having the victory parade, David's jealousies and covetousness against David are are present immediately. And from that point forward, you just see this, he's almost schizophrenic, right? Because he wants David there, but he hates him. He wants David to help defeat the enemies, but but he he disdains him at his table. All of these things are going on, and he can't get rid of the guy because he he married his daughter to him, right? So this guy is there, and, you know, he's just looking for, he just keeps building and building. And even, think about this, at times where where, uh, a a demon comes and, and, and is oppressing Saul, David comes and ministers and sings to Yahweh and, and brings deliverance even in that way to Saul. And and you would think, you, you almost have to wonder sometimes, in, in David's head, is this the time he's finally going to get over all this stuff and we're going to work together? I don't know how this all could work out, but um, David endured years and years of Saul not only being in the way and keeping him from getting to what he knew he was anointed for, but also uh, as as a as a real enemy in pursuit. Absolutely. 
know, which is which is why you know how proud the Jewish culture is. It's always catechized. Yes. yes. So again, just remember being delivered out of these hands. This this is speaking about power and possession. Uh, remember that God used uh, the words that uh, Israel was delivered out of the hand of Egypt. So out of the power and out of the possession. And David, when he's using these words, he has reference back to that. And then because of all this, he says, I will love you, Yahweh, my strength in the strength that he has in every every area of his life um, is, is from God. Verse 2, Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So um, th- there's some allusions in, in Psalm 18 here to the, the song of Moses uh, rock and fortress that you find in the Song of Moses and Deuteronomy. It's, it's titled at the end of uh, Deuteronomy um, uh, 30, but then begins in 31. Um, and so we, we, we have uh, the same type of imagery being spoken of when Yahweh is delivering again Israel out of Egypt. And, you know, with this rock, uh, and my fortress, you know, the, in scriptures, rock is not only a, a place of uh, concealment, but it's a place of security. You know, sometimes we hear rock, we, we can hear about it in terms of like altars, you know, big rocks where you turn the rock up and it becomes a, a memorial place to remember what God's uh, doing. And, and in that way, uh, we're building little mountains, um, a place us, but but it is also a place of concealment, and we see that throughout David's life, right? He's hiding in the caves, he's hiding in places, and it just reminds us that it's not only a place of security, but God conceals us as well, and, you know, it's it, he is, God is our shield and the horn of salvation, and, you know, again, you think about uh, um, how many guys have ever been to a farm How do you feel about being inside the fence bull? I, I didn't say if you did it. I asked how'd you feel about it. Okay. And and why is that? That's right. Because because he's got a powerful horn with which he will gore you. As a matter of fact, in, in God's law, there's specific rules. God speaks about how if a bull gores someone, there's a whole process. And if it happens more than once, you got to kill the bull. So um, they're powerful. You know, if you've ever watched like the running of the bulls, I've met a few people that, that have done that. Would you say? No. Or, 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 
I, I didn't. Did, did you do, did you do the run? <laughs> but 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 there is a certain power. And if you ever watch like you know you see the blooper kind of videos and you see the ones where there's where there are uh, bulls and I mean like they get up in there and, and I've never seen one where they board somebody, but I've seen where they brought their head down and the person's trying to dodge and they lift they just pop their head up. And that person goes flying like they don't weigh anything, right? Um, so, and, and, and the point and the point is, our our God's deliverance—it's powerful like that. It's powerful, and to a certain extent, um, unpredictable. God is always the same, right? But but to use a C.S. Lewis reference, right? Aslan is not a what? A tame lion, right? He's not a tame lion. Um, he both is sacrificial and dies for salvation, but he also gobbles up the wicked. And so in that same way, we can recognize this. Verse 3. I will call upon Yahweh, who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. Now this word call, again, we put this in modern terms and we kind of lose sight of what it's driving at. Like, you know, pick up your phone and you call someone. Anybody ever heard the gospel song, Jesus on the main line? I, I actually do know the words, but I, I, I shall not grace you with that today. Um, and, 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 the, and the premise of the song is not wrong. Uh, but, but what I do want to tell you is this. This is not just, in other words, I am going to uh, reach out to God, reach out and touch him, and you know, the AT&T thing. But rather, I am invoking God remember his covenant. Remember we kind of talked about that, how we come to the table and God remembers in that memorial us, right? And he remembers all the promises he made to us through the blood and the body of Jesus. In, in the same way, we see it here, and we'll, we'll see it again in verse 6. It'll be even more clear. But I'm going to invoke God. I'm going to come before God and say, my God, my God, you are the one who keeps promises. You're the one that called us out. You're the one that's delivered us. Lord, deliver us now. Right? Verse 4, the pangs of death surround me, and the fools of ungodliness made me afraid. Um, This word pangs could be understood as, as bands, sort of like the bands that they were trying to break Psalm 2. So um, these these bands of, of death, they're, they're plotting against me and there appears to be no other way. I'm bound up uh, in what certainly looks like death. And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. How about that? You ever think about our culture today? The greater world and the realities in it? Never been stoked to fear? It's quite a thing. 
And he's all the way to the point where he says in verse 5, the sorrows of Sheol surround me. The snares and the traps of death confronted me. Again, we're getting into strong poetical imagery. In my distress, look at this, I called upon Yahweh. I cried out to, and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from where? His temple, right? That's the place of covenant renewal, right? So this goes back to, again, he's calling on Yahweh. He's crying out to God. And where did God hear him? Now, I'm not going to argue that he doesn't hear you anywhere else, right? But there is something different about going into the place where God's people are. And, of course, today it's not necessarily a geographical location, right? Like the temple was in Jerusalem. It could be where his people are gathered together. If tomorrow, I'm sorry, did Well, and you also see, too, that um, what happens um, when he flees um, the pursuit of Saul, right, and Jonathan, the whole arrow situation, he flees, where did he go? He goes to the tabernacle. Right? Remember, they come in and they kill the priest and all of that, right? So the, the, the place of the temple there is, is the tabernacle. That's a place where the you would do your sacrifices. It's a place to draw near to God. Um, and, and of course, um, there's a whole thing going on there, but he goes there in, in, in fleeing from Saul. And presumably at other points, because you, know, you, you know his heart's all about this, because what does he want to do? He wants to build the temple. When he becomes king, he, he says, bring that thing and let's get tabernacle over here until we get something built right and of course you know there's several episodes involving the moving of the tabernacle and all of this so he's very oriented to the sacrificial system to the tabernacle and desiring all that he can do to prepare the way even after God says you're not going to build the temple he's doing all he can to make arrangements to see that it's built I think, I, right, but, but I think it's also tied to the fact, remember that whether we're talking about Eden or the tabernacle or the temple itself, right, that what, where is the place on earth where God tabernacles with us, where his presence is, his throne room, um, access, if you will, is the tabernacle and the temple. So I, I, th- I think it's both. It's like we ascend into the heavenlies, right, and there, there are sacrifices burned up they went in and and mingled with the glory cloud in the same way. I just I think you can see it in that way.
that was the, but that was the tabernacle. Right, right. Right, right, right. But 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 the point is, it's the place where we go into covenant with God, and God's dwelling there, and our sacrifices go into His place where He dwells on earth. Glory to God, right? Which is the place of connection to his throne in heaven. So it, it is referencing his throne in heaven, but it is connected, I think, uh, in, that, in that imagery. Right, but they, right, right, he did that. Right, Saul did that, and, and they weren't they weren't wrong for eating the bread. They they had taken vows. David's talking about that. They were in an Amorite vow state, so they couldn't eat that bread. That's another thing. Our time is up, so we'll uh, let's see. Down here, verse six. What'd you say? Oh yeah. It's all right. Um. Let us uh, pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your kindness, Lord. I ask that you would bless us as we come before you today. Lord, please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises to us. In Jesus' name.